0: Good to be here this evening. Uh, let me tell you a little story, and then I will uh, get on with my message. My wife and I are both getting older, and we—who said all—and we're getting a little forgetful. So we went to the doctor and talked to the doctor about it, and he suggested that we write things down in order to remember them well, we were watching TV the other night, and I said to Linda, I says I'm going to the kitchen to get something to eat. Do you want something? And she says, yes, bring me a bowl of ice cream. Write it down where you won't forget it. (laughs) I said, I won't forget it, a bowl of ice cream. And I started out of the room, and she says, and put some nuts on it. Write it down where you won't forget it. I said, I got it. Ice cream with nuts on it. I won't forget it. So I started out of the room again, and she said, and put some whipping cream and a cherry on it. Write it down where you won't forget it. I said, okay. Ice cream with nuts and whipping cream and a cherry. I won't forget it. I started out, and she said, and put some chocolate syrup on it also. <laughs> Write it down where you won't forget it. I said, Linda... I'm not going to forget it. You want ice cream with nuts, whipping cream, cherry, and and chocolate sauce. I won't forget it. So I go into the kitchen, and I stay in there quite a while, and I come back, and I have her a plate of eggs and bacon. (laughs) And she said, I told you to write down, you forgot my toast. I'm glad we can come to church and, and have a good time, aren't you? I'm glad that we as Christians don't have to look like an old sourpuss and look like we swallowed up a salmon and look like an old mule with his head hung across the fence, that a long face. We don't have to have that. I am glad we can rejoice and be happy in the Lord. And I'm just so proud and pleased to be here this evening. Like Minnie Pearl used to say, I'm so proud to be here. I want a sermon to preach to you this evening, but before I preach that sermon, I want to do a little reminiscence, okay, if, if I might be so bold to do so. Now, I've been strictly warned and strictly told not to mention certain people from the pulpit. And I, I just decided it would be easier to get forgiveness than it would to get permission, okay? <laughs> But I want to reminisce about my, my daughter a little bit this evening, okay? Um, I love that little girl. Yeah. I was thinking about my favorite word, and my favorite word occurs when the phone rings and I answer the phone and the voice on the other end, I say hello, and the voice on the other end says, Daddy. I like to hear that. I like to hear that. She's always been a great kid, Navigated her mother and I a bit of trouble when she was growing up, and she was always an, an excellent student. And she always excelled in everything she did, and, and she wanted to always please us, and didn't ever want to do anything that would be displeasing to us. And uh, as she was growing up, uh, uh, I told her since she could not start dating until she was 21 years old. And she says, Daddy, the Lord's going to come for then and I will not never get to date. (laughs) I said, well, if the Lord comes before then, you won't miss out on nothing. Uh, I'll let you date when you're 16. So she never did ask to date. But one day I I came in from work and uh, she was there in the house and she was doing her schoolwork. And she says, "Uh, Daddy, um, she called this little boy's name and I knew him and... She said, he wants to take me out tonight. I said, "You can't go. She says, why? I said, I told you you had to be 16 before you could date. She said, well, he's going to call you and ask you himself if he can take me out. I said, that'll be interesting. (laughs) So he called me. It was a little after supper time, he called me and he said, Mr. Fester, I'd like to take uh, Tammy out tonight, if that'd be okay with you. And I called his name and I said, I've changed my mind. I said, since you were man enough to call me and ask me to my face if you could take my daughter out, I said, I'm, I'm going to let you take her out. I'm going to let her go. I said, but here's the stipulations. She's got to be home at 10 o'clock. He said, no problem, no problem. I'll have her home at 10 o'clock. So he came to the house and he came in and you dads know how teenage boys are. He had done faced the old man and he had done faced the line down and he was ready to take me on again. They started to leave and I said to him, I called his name and I said, remember 10 o'clock. He grinned that big and put his hand on his hip and says, don't you worry about us for one or two o'clock in the morning. I said, young man, I said, if that car is not in that driveway at 10 (laughs) o'clock, and if Tammy's not in this house at 10 o'clock, I'm coming after you. I want you to know right now, I don't care about going back to the penitentiary. <laughs> he said, I'll have her here by then. <laughs> and so about uh, five minutes to ten, I was sitting there waiting, and I heard the car come in, and he brought her to the door and walked her into the house and told her good night, and I guess he done all this smoochy stuff before they got there. <laughs> I don't want to know about that part, Okay. But she's a good kid, a great kid. Um, when she's in the fifth grade, um, Carol Oakland School shut down. Carol, Carol School shut down, and Oakland School shut down. And they recombined as Carol Oakland School. And there was a young man that came from uh, Oakland School. Uh, he was uh, about uh, this tall, and had dark hair, and had on glasses. And, I met him when his cousin of his got married at Cedar Grove Baptist Church, and I was doing the ceremony, and he was in that ceremony. And when the wedding was over and we got back home that night, I told Tammy, I said, Tammy, I said, I found the guy for you. (laughs) She said, you have? I said, yeah. I said, that little Cobby boy. I said, um, set your cap for him. He said, he's the one. Well, that's in the fifth grade. They went to school together, through high school. And when they were seniors, she came in one evening from school. And she says, Dad, Nathan's invited me to the prom. I said, he has. I said, well, are you going? And she said, yeah, if you don't care, I'm going to go. And I said, well it's okay with me if you go out with Nathan. I said, that's fine. I said, when, when's he coming over? She said, he's coming over tonight to eat supper. I said, what time's he going to get here? She said, he'll be here about six o'clock. I said, that's good. I'll be waiting for him. <laughs> and so about um, 10 minutes to six, uh, I heard her, she's in her bathroom. <laughs> doing all this stuff, fixing her hair and all this other stuff. And I went in the bedroom and got my shotgun out of the closet. <laughs> and it's an old pump. And I stood outside her bathroom door and I held that little button and I run that chamber and I took off <laughs> down the hall. And here she come out and she throw that bathroom door open. She come out and, what are you doing? I said, I'm thinking to go sit on the porch and clean my gun. She said, you are scaring Nathan to death. I said, if I can scare him off, he's not the right one. Said, but he's the right one. He's the one. So I picked him out for my daughter when it was in the fifth grade. I did a good job, didn't I? <laughs> yeah, he's a good kid too, okay. And Nathan took her off. He married her, took her off. They've given me two great-grandchildren. I love them grandchildren like, like fried chicken, okay? <laughs> but I got one up on Nathan. He married her, and she loves him, and he loves her, and she tells him that she loves him, and he tells her that she lo- he loves her. But Nathan, next time that Tammy tells you that she loves you, ask her this, am I the first man you ever loved? This is what my story, my reminiscence is about. I'm a father. That is the greatest profession that anyone could ever possibly attain to is being a father. I'm not perfect. I I don't claim to be perfect and if I claim to be, it would be a lie. Because all of us have got faults and all of us have got shortcomings. But I've always wanted to live a life before Tammy, that she would always be proud of me as her father. That I'd never do anything to bring reproach and disgrace upon her or her family. And when my life is over, I don't be remembered by buying her a car or by sending her to college or yeah, buying her a $700 dress that she just wore one time. <laughs> I don't want to be remembered by that. I want to be remembered that she had a daddy that loved her. And it always taught her to do what was right. To be a Christian, to be a believer. My daughter has never heard me one time take the Lord God's name in vain. Never one time. My daughter never one time has seen a can of beer in my hand. My daughter never one time has ever seen a joint in my hand. My daughter never seen any of those things. that so many fathers here this evening may be guilty of. If you are, I hope you'll listen to this message and get your life straightened down. I want to be remembered of this. My daddy knows God. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. Thank you for your goodness. Direct us in our undertakings and strengthen us for your service and for your word this afternoon. May we be able to speak these words about this Father that's on our heart this evening and about the mistakes that he made. And may we see his mistakes and may we not be guilty of making the same ones that, that he made. May we bring our children up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. May we teach them to love you and to love your word to love your house. May we teach them to love one another and make a commitment to each other that only death can part that commitment. Have your will in your way in our hearts and our lives and all things. All God's people will join us in saying, "Amen." I want to read you a text, okay? Genesis chapter thirteen, verse ten through thirteen. And Lot lifted up his eyes and beheld all the plains of Jordan. It was well watered everywhere before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, even as the garden of the Lord likened to the land of Egypt that cometh from Zorah. Then Lot chose him all the plains of Jordan, and Lot journeyed east, and they separated themselves the one from the other. Abram dwelt in the land of Canaan, and Lot dwelt in the cities of the plains and pitched his tent toward Sodom but the men of Sodom were wicked and sinners before the Lord exceedingly a very greatly let me set this story up for you Abram who later became Abraham and Lot was his nephew when Abram left the land of Ur of the Chaldeans with his father Haran, Lot went with them. And they came to Haran and they dwelt there until Abram's father died. Then they sojourned south into the land of promise and what is now the land of Israel. Lot was blessed by God exceedingly. Had everything possibly his mind, could a heart could ever imagine, he could ever hope to gain. He, he had all of that. And the riches became hand over foot to them, and everything they did just prospered, and it seemed like they had the Midas touch. That everything they touched turned to gold, and they just prospered exceedingly great. And they increased in cattle and camels and asses and sheep and goats, and maid servants and men servants, and all these things. They just abundantly blessed hand over foot, and they finally got where they couldn't get along. And some people don't think they were (laughs) Baptists. And so Abram says to him, Lot, we we can't dwell together. Our substance is too great. We're going to have to separate ourselves one from the other. He said, if you want to go to the right hand, I'll go to the left. If you want to go to the left, I'll go to the right. You, You just choose which direction you want to go in, and I will take what's left. And Lot lifted up his eyes and beheld the plains of Sodom and Gomorrah. Now, before God destroyed those places, there was a green valley there where the Dead Sea is now. The Dead Sea wasn't there. But there was a green valley there at that time. And the cattle could go fat. Wouldn't have to worry about moving them from pasture to pasture. No way they could ever consume everything that was there in that land. And Lot says, I can make it down there in that land. And so he just pitched his tents towards Sodom. That's what it said, wasn't it? Pitched his tent towards Sodom. Now, Lot didn't mean to get into this situation he found himself in. He didn't mean to make all these mistakes that he made. But, but I want us to see the mistakes he made, and let's make sure that we don't make those same mistakes, Okay. He began to call these men of Sodom his brothers. Now, we are supposed to live in a day and age which we are supposed to be politically correct. And it's not appropriate for us to condemn anyone for their sins. But the Bible said that those people in Sodom and Gomorrah were sinners exceedingly or greatly. They were terrible, terrible sinners. They can't be any more lost than you're lost. But there's different lost degrees, I suppose, that they're exceedingly wicked people. They made a perversion out of something that God had beautified and created for the comfort of man. They had perverted that and they'd become sodomites. They'd become homosexuals in that land. And in case you never heard that before, that's what a sodomite is, is a Homosexual. Now, we're not supposed to use the word prevert, okay, or pervert. We're not supposed to use those words anymore. But that's what these guys were down there. And Lot began to call them brothers. We we want to be active with other men. And we want to have buddies. And we want to have uh, golfing buddies and fishing buddies and bowling buddies and TV watching buddies and Harley buddies and all this other stuff. We won't we'll get that, but let, let me tell you something. A person who is not a Christian, if you are a Christian and you are associated with someone that is not a Christian, they are not your brother. They're not your brother, neither the flesh nor of the spirit. They're not your brother. But Lot called these men of Sodom his brothers. Now what Lot began to do, as he began to associate with these people and and to join them in business practices and all the other stuff, Lot Lot was there when the five kings came up against Sodom and Gomorrah and captured it and took them all off as prisoners of war, okay? Uh, Abram came along and rescued them and brought them back. And because Abram did that and Refused to accept any booty or any reward for doing that. Met the king of Salem at another sermon. Uh, Lot became mayor of the city of Sodom. He got into politics. My name is Terry Fessler and I approve this message. Okay. He got into politics. And the Bible says that he sat in the gates of the city. And what that means is this, that anyone had a disagreement, they'd come to Lot, and Lot would make a decision as to who was right and who was wrong and make a division of property or settlement, whatever it took to settle the dispute between those two people. Lot was doing that. One day he was doing that and seen two strangers approach Now, I don't know if he knew who they were at first or not. But he offered them hospitality in his house. They said, we're going to dwell in the street. And Lot says, now you don't know this community. This is a community of sodomites. The homosexuals will attack you. It's not safe for a man to walk the streets of this city at night, much less a woman It's not safe here. You cannot dwell in the street. You've got to go home with me. So Lot finally persuaded them and they went home with him. Now, the Sodomites or the homosexuals of the city. They surrounded Lot's house. And they said to Lot, called out to him in the house, hey, in the house, bring these men out that we may know them. Now, if you don't know what that means, that, that means in terms of that day that those sodomites wanted to have a sexual relationship with those two angels that came down to the sea of Sodom. That's what it means. Amen? Are you with me? If I get too bold, you tell me, all right? Uh, and, and Lot says, you can't have them. Listen to what Lot said. Take my two daughters, my two virgin daughters, and do to them whatever seems right in your eyes. Whatever you want to do to them, do it. How does that make you fathers feel? Let's see if I got something in my pocket I could deal with that with, okay? I would have killed every man in that city to protect my child. I'd have killed every man in that whole country to protect my child. But Lot says, take him. You say, how terrible, how awful that was for him to do that. It was awful, wasn't it? But I wonder, are we doing any differently? Your parents have got Children, do you know where they go at night? Do you know who they're with? Do you know who they're associating with? Are we saying to the world, you can have my children." He said, "Take them. Take my two daughters." Well those men of Sodom, they were perverted. They were wicked. They were sinful men. And they weren't interested in women. They wanted to be with another man. It's sickening. It's sickening. Sinners, exceedingly great sinners, perversion. Clearly a perversion of what God created to be neat and gentle and loving. They had perverted those men of Sodom did not want them. So those angels in the house struck those sodomites around Noth's house with blindness and they wearied themselves, the Bible says. They wore themselves out trying to find the door, trying to get in to attack these two male angels that were in the house. Let me throw this in. This won't cost you anything, okay? All angels in the scriptures are men, not women, okay? Always masculine gender and angels, and in angels. Anytime they're spoken of, it's always masculine gender. Ladies, you make beautiful angels in the Christmas pageant, okay? I think you're beautiful, beautiful creatures that God created. But the angels of the Bible, they're men, they're male. And so the angel says the Lord. You got any kin folks here in town? You got any other family members here besides these girls and your wife, anybody else? And Lot says, well, I got a couple of married daughters. And I got a couple of sons that they're married. And they live over across town. Angel says to them, go get them. Get them out of the city. We're going to destroy this place. We're going to rain fire and brimstone upon this city and we're going to utterly destroy it off the face of the earth. Get them out. Here goes Lot. He goes to the house of his oldest daughter. Who is it? It's Lot, your father-in-law. What do you want? Get out of this place. God said he is going to destroy this city Get out, get my daughter, get my grandchildren and get out of here before it's too late. Get out. He said, what are you talking about, old man? How would I feel? How would I feel if Nathan felt that way about me? If I tried to tell him a spiritual truth to impart to him something that was spiritually important and he mocked me, Made fun of me, how would I feel? They wouldn't listen. That goes to the house of another, same thing. Who is it? It's your father in law, Lot. What do you want? It's late, the doors are shut, the kids are in bed, we're watching TV, we're watching Johnny Carson, we don't want to be bothered. What do you want? He ain't on no more, is he? You know how I watch TV at night you now. I usually go to sleep. But they wouldn't listen. See, Lot didn't have any power with his married children. This evening I was reading Father into the text and, and I found out where Abraham became a Jew when he was trying to Jew God down in that number of people in the city of Sodom. And he started out with 50 and got down to 10. And I wondered, why did he sat on that number? Why didn't he say five? I believe God would say, okay, if you find five there, I want to destroy it for five's Say, why did he stop at five? Good thought. I think, I, I thought, I think Abraham probably thought, well, surely the goodness. Surely, the goodness, Lot can have some influence over his wife. Surely, the goodness, he can have some influence over his daughters that are not married. Surely, the goodness, he has some influence over his grandchildren. Surely, the goodness, he has some influence with his sons in laws and his daughter in laws. Surely, the goodness, there's at least 10 people in this whole city of Sodom that Lot is somehow touched with his life and they've seen that he is a righteous man, that his soul is vexed by the wickedness of the city. Surely there's ten people that would stand up with him. But there wasn't. So no power. I wonder if he knew it. I wonder if Lot knew he didn't have any power. I wonder if nobody cared anything about his testimony. So Lot... Delays and the angel laid a hold of his hand and hold the hand of his wife and hold the hand of his two daughters and literally drug him out of the city. She looked back, turned into a pillow of salt. Let me tell you a true story, okay? This happened years and years ago. Uh, I was a deacon at Cedar Creek Baptist Church and I was teaching a a, a training class on Sunday night and we were talking about Job or Job, whichever one you want to pronounce it. And when I was teaching that class that night, two Baptist preachers opened the back door and walked in they came and sat down right right there in the middle and I was standing up in front of the church and teaching this class and they got to sniggering among themselves. And so I stopped and I stepped over and I said, uh, "You two brothers got something you want to say?" And one of them said to me, "You don't believe all that stuff, do you?" These were Baptist preachers in Wilson County Baptist churches, okay? And they was there that Sunday night for some reason. I don't know why they were there unless it's just to show how stupid—I mean, how dumb—they were, okay? <laughs> they said, "You don't believe all that." I said, "Believe all of what?" about all that stuff that you say happened to Job. You don't really believe that, do you? I said, the Bible says it, doesn't it? I believe it because the Bible said it. He said, you, one of them said, well, you don't hear nothing about him getting married again. Do what? You don't find anything about Job getting married again. I said, why would he have to get married again? He had one foolish woman. He didn't need another. And he said to me, after she turned into a pillar of salt, he never did marry married again. Huh? I said, Job's wife didn't turn into a pillar of salt. Job's wife says, Cuss God and die, I want to get rid of you too, okay? It was Lot's wife that turned into a pillar of salt. Why? Why did she? Because her heart. It's Can I reminisce just a minute more, okay? You said this is a reminiscing lie tonight. Where's my woman? Yana, she is. Hi, baby. <laughs> I'll catch you when I get home, morning. Than... <laughs> <laughs> it would break my heart if I thought that woman didn't respect me. If I thought she didn't care anything about my testimony, about my preaching, about my relationship with God, it would break my heart. But Lot's wife, she didn't care. So Lot goes into the mountains, goes into a cave, and sets up housekeeping. You say to me, how do you know what Lot did in Sodom?" I have a pretty good idea of what Lot did because of the way he acted when he got delivered from there. I think Lot made uh, number one mistake of this. Drinking alcoholic beverages. When I was a teenage boy, I'm almost seventy-six, as you've probably already heard before. But there's never one, been one drop of alcohol past my lips—not one drop. I was sixteen. And I was in a car with some more teenage boys, and we were running around Gallatin. Somehow, they got their hands on some beer. And they went out on 109 and went down under that bridge there at 109 and parked down under that bridge and they was popping the tops on those beer cans and they was drinking. They said, here, Terry, try one. No, I will not. Your mama ain't going to find out. I don't care if my mama finds out or not. I'm not going to defile myself. I'm not going to drink alcohol. I'm not going to do it. Are you just a big chicken? I may be a chicken, but if I die tonight in a car accident, I'm gonna die a sober chicken. Okay? I'm not gonna die a die drunk one. It's surprising to me how many—I'll use the word—how many Christians. Don't think there's anything wrong with that. If they say it's nothing wrong with having a little wine with your supper. Let's go out to Demases and let's get us a steak and a salad and get us a glass of, I don't know what color wine you drank with a steak. Well, that's what I know. Let's get us a glass of wine. And let's have a little wine. Good for your stomach, okay? You're not Timothy either, are you? Okay. Paul said to Timothy, a little wine for your stomach's sake, but that was wine that was diluted with water and using it for medication, wasn't using it for the purpose of getting drunk or or divulging in that type of thing. But Lot drank down in Sodom. I have have a preacher friend that I work with at TRW, and I would hear things come out of his mouth that that I, I just couldn't believe it when I heard it. And I said to him, what are you doing, preacher? He said, what do you mean, what am I doing? I said, "You, you shouldn't talk that way. A Christian shouldn't tell those dirty jokes. A Christian shouldn't get mad and curse. A Christian ought not to do these things that you're doing. He said, you don't understand, preacher. I'm going to do this and I'm going to win their confidence and then I'm going to spring it on them. I'm going to testify to them. No. No. You're not going to have any influence with your drunken friends. A preacher in this association went to a wedding and they were drinking at the wedding and he got drunk. He thought he was supposed to get drunk because the rest of them got drunk. And it was called a DUI drinking under the influence of alcohol on his way home. And the church says, that's okay. We understand. I don't. I don't understand. I will not be brought under the subjection of something that's going to make me lose control of my mental faculties or lose control of my body, I will not be brought in subjection to those things. But Lot was. You go away and say, that preacher really meddled tonight. He got on us for drinking a little alcohol. Let me tell you what happened when he drank alcohol. The oldest girl said to the youngster, said, let's get daddy drunk tonight. And so they got the old man drunk. He was out of his gorge. He didn't know where he was at. He didn't know when that young woman laid down beside him, and he didn't know when she got up. His daughter. His daughter. Talk about homosexuality being perverse. How could any man, any decent man ever contemplate that? How could he even fantasize that in his mind? How could he ever think about such a terrible thing as that? But Lot impregnates his oldest daughter because he was drunk. The next night, the young son said, well, it worked last night. Let's get him drunk again. And so they got Lot drunk again. And the young son went in and lay down beside her father. And He didn't know when she laid down, didn't know when she got up. And both Lot's daughters were pregnant by their father. Father, fathers, what's going on with us? What's going on with the fathers in America today? I see some of these precious young teenage girls out on the streets and in restaurants and places. And I see them come in and they got on a garb that wouldn't be enough clothes on their body to make a hummingbird a pair of (laughs) leggings. And they walk into these places and all these vile, sinful men in these places looking at them, with their lewd eyes and imagining things in their mind about their young virgin daughters, and daddies are sitting back and they're doing nothing and saying, it's just the signs of the time, preacher. My daughter's got to be like everybody else. No, she hasn't. You have a responsibility to protect her. And when I see your daughter out in that garb, I say, where is her daddy at? Where's her daddy These girls pregnant by their father. What a terrible, terrible situation that was. You know who those descendants of those two girls were? They were the ones that fought against the children of Israel. Oh, my goodness. I got my watch on tonight. They were the ones that fought against the children of Israel when they came into the land of promise. We're always fighting against the world, people. Always fighting against the world. Fathers. Fathers. I love being a father. That day in October the 3rd, 1966. No, it's was 1946. Oh. I got a phone call at TRW, and lady in the front said, personnel, she said, Terry, can you come to the office? Sure. I'll be there in a second. So I run up the aisle and go to the office and pick up the phone, and my mother-in-law on the other end of the line she said, Terry, can you come home? I said, what's going on? Linda's in labor. She is. I'll be there directly. I run every red light in Lebanon, getting back out to Gilmore Hill Road, where I lived at that time. I got back home at probably about um, 12.30. I got her in the car and I took off to Lebanon. I got her to McFarland Hospital and got her into the hospital about uh, 15 minutes to one and about five minutes to one. The nurse came out of the living room and said to me, congratulations, Mr. Fessler, you have a beautiful baby girl. Back in those days, they didn't tell you what it was going to be, okay? Beautiful baby girl. I said, that's great. How's my wife? She's fine. She's fine. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. She goes back in, and the minute the doctor comes out and says, Congratulations, Mr. Fester. You have a beautiful baby boy. I says, Is there two of them? He says, no, it's just one. I said, the nurse said it was a girl, huh? He said, oh, it was a girl. I said, don't you know the difference between a boy and a <laughs> You ask Dr. Bradshaw if he remembers that, okay? He probably remembers that right now, okay? That's the greatest day of my life except for my salvation experience and getting Miss Linda to agree to become my wife. Greatest day of my life becoming a father. I want to be the right kind of father. Let me me finish up, okay? I got a lot more I wanted to talk to you about, so I just don't ever get through my sermons anymore, okay? Let me tell you about one other father, and then we'll go, okay? He was the king of Israel. His name was David. As a matter of fact, the Bible tells us that, that he was a man after God's own heart. And what that tells me is, that tells me that that we can be as spiritual as we possibly can be, but we can still make some terrible mistakes. Terrible mistakes. David was supposed to go to war with his troops, but he stayed home. He's walking on his housetop, on his porch, on his balcony in the evening, and, and he looked and he saw something. Boy, she's good looking. Who is that? That's Bathsheba. That's Uriah the Hittite's wife that you're looking at. That's his wife you're looking at. Go get her and bring her over here. So David sends for her. Bathsheba comes in and says, Oh Lord, my king, what can I do for you? He says, baby, You're the best-looking thing I've seen in years and years. How about you spending the night with me? She had no choice. He was the king. He had asked her to do something, and she did it. A few days later, a few weeks later perhaps, she sent word to David and says, David, I'm in trouble. My husband's away, and I'm pregnant. And you know the penalty for being an adulteress; They'll kill me. David says, that's okay, honey. I'll take care of it. And so he called for Uriah to come to the city, and he had a party for Uriah, and all indications are that they had wine and probably had the dancing girls to come in and put on a show and, David thought Uriah would be stimulated. He'll be excited and he'll go home and he'll think he has impregnated his wife on this brief trip home and everything will be okay. I'll be in the clear. But Uriah was a righteous man. Uriah said, it's not right. It's not right for me to go and lay with my wife when Joab and his army are dwelling in tents. I will not do it. I'm going to dwell here in the palace tonight. So he spent the night in the palace. Next day, David found out, and David says, why didn't he just do what I told him to do? Why didn't he just do what I told him to do? He called for Joab and said, to Uriah and says, Uriah, carry this letter back to Joab. And he handed a piece of paper to Uriah, and it said in it, place Uriah in the forefront of the battle and withdraw from him that he may die, so that I can take his wife. So Uriah dies in battle. And David takes his wife, and marries her, and David says, no one ever know. No one else will ever know what happened here except me. And her, it will be our secret. No one will ever know. But God was looking down from heaven. And God says, that baby, it's going to die. It's going to die because of what you did. You're responsible, Father. Because you did this thing. And because you had no pity. This baby is going to die because you did that. And the baby died. And the Baptist preacher comes to see David and says, you're going to pay the land back fourfold. But let me get to where I want to get to, okay? David's oldest son was named Amon. Amon was in line for the throne. He would probably have been king after David, all these things hadn't transpired. And Amon had a half-sister by the name of Tamar. And Amon fell sick after his sister. He fell in love with his sister. How can he do that? How is that possible that he would do that? But anyway, what happened was that Amon wound up raping Tamar. He raped his sister. Why did Amon think he could do that and get away with it? Why did Amon think he could take something that did not belong to him and desecrate it and get away with it? What made him think he could do that and get away with it? Just like his daddy. My wife tells me sometimes, let me get through, okay? I apologize for being so long-winded, aren't right? I? My wife tells me sometimes, she says, Terry, you just like your daddy. I say, Well, who am I supposed to be like? Your daddy? I'm proud to be like my daddy. I am my daddy's son, okay? Our children are going to be what we are, folks. Fathers, do you want your children to grow up just like you? Do you want your children to be just exactly what you are? Look at them. Look at them sitting there beside you across the aisle from you or somewhere. If you can't see them, stand up and look at them and look at them. They're going to be just like you someday because you are setting the example and they are going to follow it. This is what I want mine to be. I want to be preachers and teachers and lovers of God. That's what I want for my family. Is that what you want for yours? Let's have revival tonight. Let's start revival. Revival.